You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're tuned in to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host from BleacherReport.com, Chad Dundas. And joining us, as always, from USA Today and MMAJunkie.com, it's the one and only Ben Folks. Ben, uh, I don't know what kind of fucking show this is, man. Motherfuckers be acting silly. What are, you, what are your thoughts? Just acting silly. You know, I've wanted to say that to you for so long, and I wasn't sure how to put it in the right words. And then Nate Diaz, he just he offered it right up. And I was like, that's it. That's what I've been wanting to say to Chad Dundas ever since I met him, really. Sometimes it takes uh, a village to decide what you want to say to motherfuckers. Or just one brilliant man. Takes a village to decide how you want to describe motherfuckers who be acting silly. I got shit to do. I'm hungry. I'm out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this. Uh, I thought it was pretty clear when uh, Nate Diaz said that to close out his interview with with John Anik that he was speaking about actual literal hunger. Like he was not talking about his position in the lightweight division, which I've seen o- online some people try to use that quote as as though he was talking about like he wants another shot at the title. I took that to mean he wants to go to Waffle House like right now. Well, I, you know, I also, I guess, fall on the, it's probably he meant literal hunger, but what can you rule out? No, that's true. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. That, that's a, he could have meant anything. Yeah. Really. Pretty much. All right. Well, Ben, this part is new, so everybody needs to pay attention. Uh, this episode of the co-main event podcast is brought to you by GoDaddy. Ben and I are glad to welcome GoDaddy as the first ever sponsor of the CME. They will be with us for at least the next month or so. And to kick off the relationship, they're offering some pretty good deals for CME listeners. Here's how it works. Just visit GoDaddy.com and enter the promo code EVENT. That's E-V-E-N-T. Or go to our website and click the GoDaddy banner, which is not there yet, but it will be. And in exchange, you will get one new or one transfer.com domain name for only $1.99 for the first year of registration with an, with additional years for $9.99. And as a guy who has just recently been dealing with a bunch of bullshit regarding our own website, I can tell you that's pretty cheap. Uh, some limitations do apply, so you have to see their website for details. But Ben, this is as if, like, if you wanted to, uh, if take your dream catcher business and, and go and go nationwide with it this yeah. is this is how, how you could do it you I could would, just uh use our promo code over at godaddy and get online for a dollar 99 and i have been talking about that for a long time and i feel like i mean come on as many of the cme's listeners have bands and you know one man jazz acts and hardcore metal nazi bands or they're all, they're they all trying to sell something yeah i mean there's plenty of people out there in our listening audience who who need websites so uh feels like we're we're really doing everybody a solid all the way around here yeah so we're excited to welcome godaddy on board as uh you have heard us bitch and moan about time and time again on this show putting the co-main event podcast out is not free much like when mike goldberg's buddy from the marine corps reminded him that freedom isn't free no uh we've been doing it for a year and a half now so we have accrued some debt and it has only taken us 80 episodes to start to offset some of that debt 
So we were pleased about that. Hopefully it will lead to some exciting new directions for the CME. Uh, we might even be able to get these goddamn t-shirts printed up that everybody keeps asking yeah, us about. Yeah, th- then they can find something new to bug us about. That's, <laughs> that's right. When are you guys going to do secret decoder rings? Uh, the three rounds this week, as usual, for the CME. In round number one, we were all reunited with Planet Diaz this week. Admit it. How many of you just wanted to pinch Nate Diaz on the cheeks and say, God damn it, we missed you. And in round number two, is it just us, or is Ronda Rousey on the verge of a complete and total flameout? And in round number three, this Friday, the UFC hosts the opening round of its annual Super Hulk tournament, as Mark Hunt takes on Bigfoot Silva in Brisbane, Australia. So we'll talk about that. All that plus, are you fucking kidding me, and just saying stuff, but right now, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. That that wasn't true about the about the Super Hulk tournament. Well, I don't feel like it's untrue. That was just made up. Could it, be true. There's there's no Super Hulk tournament. They're just having uh, Mark Hunt fight Bigfoot Silva for the, sh- for the fun of it. Let's go ahead and start calling it a Super Hulk tournament and see if it catches on. I'm, we're starting to get the Super Hulk tournament uh, division going. Yeah. Let's go super heavyweight. And, huh? you know, you don't even tell him about it, but somehow Minnow Man finds out and shows up. <laughs> just shows up in his red trunks like yeah. and he's ready to go. I'm sure just us saying Super Hulk this many times, uh, like he snapped awake from like a nap. Oh, he has a Google alert for yeah. Super Hulk. Yeah. Anyone who Googles it, he he uh, he gets a message. The first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Joseph Curacina. He writes, I'm Dana White. I do a 115 pound women's tough and I'm going to market it and I'm not going to market it to the guys at all. I'm going to do a big promotional lead up that focuses more on the big brother esque drama in the house. And the fact that we have women being successful at a non-traditional job like that badass chick from ice road truckers. And I go hard after a new demographic women. That's a big fucking demographic, by the way, it's like half the people that's math, bro. Their boyfriends will watch because it's the one reality show they don't mind watching in bed with their girl on a weeknight. And they'll watch because they'll still get to see a whole season's worth of badass fights. And hey, who knows? There might even be one or two girls on there that have a beautiful fucking body. Bonus. And I'm going to have men coach them. And not just any men. Legends. I'm talking UFC Hall of Famers Hoist Gracie and Mark Coleman. The quiet master and the headbutting maniac. The first family of jujitsu versus the godfather of ground and pound. It's the pioneers of the support of the sport teaching the very absolute newest group in the in the sport 115 pound women boom we just set a new record for viewers guaranteed i'm dana fucking white any questions my question is how long did it take him to write this awesome awesome email well the, here's the thing we had no choice but to include that yeah during this week's if listener you, mail if you write a question that sweet you pretty much forced our hand we have yeah, to read no, it on air joseph curacina had me at i'm dana white well, for me, it was when he pointed out that uh, women, that's a big demographic, like half the population. Yeah, no, that's math, bro. Yeah. Uh, do we need to, to, to deal with the question? Because I feel like uh, it would be a super rad idea to do a season of tough all about 150, 15 pound women if, if they're indeed going to add that division to the UFC. Uh, I'm a little more lukewarm on the part where they focus on women being successful at a non-traditional job because I feel like we already uh, 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 genderize and and act patronizing toward the women in MMA already. I don't know that we necessarily need to turn the volume up on that. That's I would, true. <laughs> I would try to turn it down, if well, anything. And to that end, maybe not a great idea to have Mark Coleman and Hoist Gracie as the coaches. 
I'm not saying that they, I mean, I'm sure it sounds like Mark Coleman is doing an awesome job as an assistant coach for BJ Penn on the upcoming season that they're filming now. Uh, but I don't know if you want to have Mark Coleman just on air probably saying like inadvertently sexist stuff a bunch. Because well, I think that would happen. Yeah, I It's like when every time when you let Dana White even just talk about uh, the women's division, or like I think when he was congratulating Jul- uh, Juliana Pena at, for her win, uh, and I believe he called her sweetheart. Oh, God. Uh, and it was just kind of like, man, even when it's just a couple seconds that you have to talk about the female fighter, something goes awry. How awesome would it be, though, to be one of those guys that can just unironically call women sweetheart in conversation <laughs> and not even like... Not even like twinge, not even like a, a second, a moment where you're like, oh, God, did I just do that? Because yeah. I feel like you that you have to be like Telly Savalas or somebody to do that. <laughs> or like uh, Robert Loja could probably get away with, yeah, sweetheart. Yeah. Like, and I guess Dana White is one of those guys. I myself am not. No. Could not do could that. never be a sweetheart kind of guy. I think Mark Coleman would be awesome on The Ultimate Fighter because, as you know, as because you've interviewed Mark Coleman before, and as have I, Mark Coleman can't help but tell you stuff. Like, Mark Coleman will tell you stuff that he just previously said like 10 seconds before that he's not going to tell you yeah and he'll like, act like you you dragged it yes, out of him. yeah he, you ask him a question he'll be like oh i shouldn't tell you that and then he'll be like oh fuck all right i'll tell you and then he'll tell you so yeah. i think he'd be perfect they could uh stick that camera in his face and 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 pull out all kinds of gems yeah i feel like we just might want to look around a little more for coaches on that but other than that i feel like it's a good idea but i don't know it seemed like uh everybody was saying after this season of the ultimate fighter like, hey, why didn't they just focus on the women? That was what we ended up talking about with it anyway. Right. Uh, well, they were scared, obviously. Yes. They weren't sure it was going to work. They're baby-stepping to it. Right. Now that we're there, let's, yeah, I agree. Let's embrace the, the concept. And what's the worst that happens? Uh, people don't watch tough? Well, yeah, you, you're already there. <laughs> uh, the second piece of listener mail this week comes from Luke Feaster. He writes, on one hand, we have Dana claiming that Askren, God damn it, people, come on. I'm just going to reread that. On one hand, we have Dana White claiming that Ben Askren, quote, hasn't fought anybody and should go to World Series of Fighting. One only needs to take a quick look at the fighters on the undercard of the Tough 18 finale to find guys who have fought, have fought far. <sighs> you okay? Here's what it says. I'll just read it as written. You only have to look at the fighters on the undercard of the Tough 18 finale to find guys who have far fought people who are apparently less than nobodies. You get what he's saying. Yes. Let's ignore the pissing match between White and Rebney. That's Bellator CEO Bjorn Rebney. And let's just engage in some speculation. Oh, okay, okay, let's do that. Uh, what if Dana really means to say that Askren's record doesn't justify his top 10 ranking and thus his rank, his asking price is too, is too high? Here's my question. How would you respond if the UFC offered Askren a standard first-time fighter contract for a few prelim fights making something like 8-8? Eight and eight? Would it be more or less frustrating to the current approach? Discuss. Okay. First of all, that seemed like a tough question for you to get through. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was rough. Okay, uh, I, I, we'll talk about this a little later, but he, I'll, I'll be honest, I didn't have time to do a ton of prep for today's show. <laughs> uh, I had some other stuff going on. Well, I've heard or maybe seen, I guess is the right way to put it, uh, especially on Twitter, people kind of making this argument um, that hey, when he says that hey, he hasn't fought anybody, he doesn't mean that he literally has fought nobody he just means that what he's asking for is too much uh, according to what he's done in the sport to which okay maybe a, a fair point you can at least have a conversation about that 
My question would be, if that's what we're to assume that Dana White means, why wouldn't he just say that? Because I think you can make that case a lot easier. Like, hey, this guy is asking for champion money when he hasn't really earned that because being Bellator champion doesn't mean shit to the UFC. Uh, and we don't think he's fought anybody good enough. Because you would think that Dana White could look far enough down the road to be like, if I say this dude hasn't fought anybody, oh, and by the way, we have a fight card coming up on Fox Sports this weekend that you should watch. Basically, nobody on it has Wikipedia pages. People are going to point out that inconsistency. Right, yeah. That's that's the weakest part of Dana White's argument here is that Ben Askren uh, hasn't done enough to to earn a spot in the UFC. Uh, and I just randomly, while you were talking, opened up UFC.com, the welterweight division. I scrolled down one one inch, and here's Viscardi Andrade, uh, Igor Ar- Arajo, nailed it, uh, Lance Benoist. Uh, Jan Cabral. Okay, I think you made your point here. Zach Cumming. No, Zach Cummings is a good fighter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. Like, I, when you see Dana White explain this, it's like, I believe him, right? I believe that he's, like, kind of saying what he thinks, but I also think that the unspoken part of the equation is just as uh, uh, the, the emailer here, uh, Luke, pointed out, like, I think that the real thing is probably that they feel like Ben Askren is unproven for the money they would have to pay to get him. Because otherwise, there, there really isn't uh, 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 a case to be made why he shouldn't be in the UFC unless you just are not going to sign guys who come over from Bellator. And clearly, the UFC tried to get uh, Eddie Alvarez earlier this year. So uh, I think there's some evidence to suggest that they would take guys from Bellator. I don't know why Ben Askren would be any any worse of an acquisition for them than Eddie Alvarez would in terms of like taking on Bellator's uh, cast-offs. Well, maybe because it comes with the added bonus of you take on a Bellator cast-off that could probably beat a bunch of your dudes in fights that no one would particularly want to see. Um, they wouldn't be really great entertaining fights, odds are. And then Bellator could be like, yeah, hey, well, we didn't even want that guy anymore. And look at him demolishing UFC guys. I, so I think that's a big part of it, too. But I, I do think that... Well, if, he also it, demolished everybody in Bellator. Right. I mean, that's the thing. I don't feel like... If Ben Askren came and won the UFC heavyweight title, or welterweight heavyweight title, that would be an accomplishment. Then straight to the Super Bowl uh, tournament. If he, if he won the, the... He kills minimal, man. I'm he, telling you right now. If he won the UFC welterweight title, I don't feel like people would be like, oh, well, Bellator guy won the UFC welterweight title. I mean, Ben Askren smashed everyone also in Bellator. So, like... I think that would just speak to his own goodness rather than speak to like that Bellator produced him from some kind of talent factory that they have over there on Spike. Right. Well, and also uh, I think that maybe the UFC's hope is that if you funnel him through World Series of Fighting first, hey, then you picked up a World Series of Fighting guy. You can just pretend we don't even have to really mention the, the Bellator stuff. Yeah, I don't know. It's I mean, and maybe they're hoping that he would just lose and then they wouldn't have to deal with it at all. It just maybe. the whole thing seems weird to me. And we talked about last week that it sort of undermines the idea that the UFC is the place where the best fight the best, uh, because it does feel like there's some extracurricular uh, things going on with Ben Askren not being able to get signed to the UFC. Clearly, the, the, nobody is really that jazzed about his fighting style. He's coming over from Bellator that the UFC obviously has a contentious relationship with right now. But it, it, it's also totally shitty because I don't personally remember a guy this accomplished who's been, uh, for lack of a better word, fucked like this before. Yeah. Well, and again, I just feel like if you're from a pure strategy standpoint on Dana White's part, uh, you're inviting people to 
make a lot of points about the current state of your roster and the kind of dude that you're signing right now uh, by trying to make that argument against Ben Askren. Say he's asking for too much money. Say, you know, you don't think uh, he's that great, but you can't be like, this guy's fought nobody, um, but like some of these one in four uh, female fighters are awesome, and you guys should totally sit down and watch them on the main card. Yeah, he's beat three guys who are former UFC fighters, one of whom, Jay Huron, uh, he beat, and then the UFC re-signed him and had him have two more fights in the in the octagon. I think after the, uh, I think he came over as part of the Strike Force thing, but but still, like to say that like to say that uh, Ben Askren hasn't fought anybody, and then have like put on fights featuring a guy that Ben Askren previously beat. I don't know if that really holds a ton of water. No, no, it does not. Well, the third uh, question this week for listener mail comes from Danny Fitzgerald. He writes, it's one thing to announce a fight without consulting one of the participants, parenthetically Roger Nog, but what the fuck was Dana White doing announcing the death of Shane Del Rosario on Twitter when multiple outlets were still reporting him and, and were for several hours afterward as alive. Wow. I didn't, I didn't realize that when we put these together that it was kind of a rough go for the UFC president Yeah, <laughs> all the way around. Okay, with this one, though, I feel like you might cut him a little bit of slack uh, because it seemed like there was a lot of confusion around the Shane Del Rosario thing, right. as often happens in right. these kinds of situations. I mean, you just look at that uh, when the news that uh, the Fast and the Furious star Paul Walker died uh, came out on what? Twitter. <laughs> I'm sorry, Chad. I didn't want you to have to find out this way. Uh that with that kind of stuff, there's just a whole lot of confusion built into the situation, even more so when, you know, the guy's on, you know, a breathing machine and we just don't know exactly what the stat status is. So I don't know. Yeah. In the future, might want to double check on that before you go de declaring your employees dead. Uh, but, uh, it seemed like a lot of people were kind of confused there. What I mean, what is the current state of Shane Del Rosario? I, I don't know. Like I said, I was not able to, to be around the internet a ton today, and I missed the Dana White tweet also. I assume that he was just expressing regret and sorrow for the yeah, passing like of, of Shane Del Rosario. Shane Del Rosario. Well, see, I'm not going to rate the guy over the coals for that. That no. seems like he's has had his heart in the right place, at least. And, and there were a bunch of conflicting reports out there about Shane Del Rosario, even about the condition that ended up putting him in the hospital to begin with. It's uh, a lot of people reporting that it was a heart attack and other people reporting that it was cardiac arrest, which seem like the same thing to the layman, but I guess are not. And there's some people arguing about it and look sad, sad situation all the way around. And uh, anytime somebody that's 30 years old uh, passes away like this from, uh, uh, from unexpected causes, you're going to have, I think, a lot of confusion, especially when it's somebody where there's going to be media reports about it, and you're going to have just a lot of uh, of grief, and not to mention a lot of rumors, which I'm sure there are and will be uh, as the, the cause of death continues to unfold, and whether or not we find that out, whether or not that's released publicly, I guess we'll have to wait and see, but it just seems like a a sad and confusing and, and uh, terrible situation all the way around. Yeah, and, I mean, one good way to interpret it from Dana White's end, more proof that Dana White runs his own Twitter, uh, not like George St. Pierre, who's got uh, people pampering him I mean, there and There was never tweets for any question that anyone besides Dana White was writing those tweets. <laughs> right. Never. Uh, you know what I wonder about the Shane Del Rosario thing? Let's say that, you know, it is as bad as people fear and he dies. Um, I would wonder what would happen with his brain. 
I would hope not that I think that you know brain damage or you know brain trauma uh, from fighting is necessarily related to what he's dealing with now. But uh, I wonder if you know he's a guy who's a kickboxer, an MMA fighter. Uh, we know that a bunch of football players have donated their brains after their death, uh, so people can look at it and kind of see what's going on in there, what what kind of toll this stuff takes. You, you know, even if his you know heart issue has nothing to do with brain stuff. Uh, I wonder if MMA fighters have started to think like, hey, regardless of how and when I die, go ahead and look at my brain, see if you can learn anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I, ho- I hope so. As, you know, kind of uh, uh, gloomy as that sounds. As, as I want his brain. That's all I'm saying. Give me his brain. Now, See, now you're just creeping me out. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, concern, a grievance to air to the co-main event podcast in the future, you know how to do it. You can go to our website, comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that will get you in touch with us. As for right now, we're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, Nate Diaz put a whooping on Gray Maynard this past weekend at the Ultimate Fighter Season 18 live finale. I don't know that there's any way to even describe the totality of Nate Diaz's performance without saying something like it was vintage Diaz or classic Diaz. It was just Diaz all the way around, too. It was strictly Diaz. Yeah. Which I think, by the way, would make an awesome title for the reality show that I know you want to produce about the Diaz brothers. Yeah, it comes on uh, right before What's Really Going On with Brandon Turner. <laughs> That's right. That's on uh, E, right? The yeah. E Network? That's on uh, the Oprah. Oh, own. It's on oh, the okay. Oprah That's Network. on Oprah. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, yeah, so so uh, let's talk about the fight first, I guess, to uh, to kick off this discussion of... of how awesome all the stuff Nate Diaz did was uh, Gray Maynard came in as a, as a slight betting favorite, uh, but it didn't, it didn't work out that way. And, and uh, when he left the cage, I think we sort of all had the impression that uh, his best days are probably behind him in the UFC. Yeah. You know, that's one of the ones where you look at, uh, he took a lot of punishment in that fight. He, he took some hard shots in the TJ Grant fight. That was also, you know, earlier this year. Um, this seems like the punishment's starting to pile up in a hurry for Gray Maynard here. Is this the point where you kind of get a little worried about the guy? Yeah, a little bit. I, I, I think like you don't want to. I don't think pull the plug on the guy's career all the way. But but you're right. He's just one three and one uh, in his last five fights, and uh, that goes back all the way to the beginning, January first of two of two thousand eleven, uh, and in the in the. You know, he got knocked out by Frankie Edgar, got TKO'd by TJ Grant, and then knocked out again by uh, uh, Nate Diaz, albeit on the feet. Uh, yeah, you do start to sort of worry about him. He's 34 years old. You know, he's 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 only had 15 or 16 pro fights, but at the same time, you don't want to see a guy uh, stick around too long. You'd rather see Gray Maynard, who by all accounts is a super nice guy, uh, walk away with all of his faculties intact. Um, I think we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's still... Uh, 
I think it's still relevant, maybe even more so after seeing him lose this fight and particularly the way that he lost it. But it's really kind of a story of what might have been about Gray Mayer. Guy came so damn close to winning the the UFC lightweight title, uh, especially back at UFC 125 with the split draw that he had with with Frankie Edgar. Uh, And you just wonder what what sort of career he would have had and how we would think of him if he had walked away with the belt at that event, you know, uh, uh, I think as it stands, we, we think of him as a guy who's a good wrestler and, and was a competent MMA fighter continues to be a competent MMA fighter, but you know, he didn't win the ultimate fighter season five. And then he got super close to winning the, the lightweight title, but came up short, uh, a couple of times. So yeah, for, for gray Maynard, I think it's kind of a sad story of a guy who, who, came about as close as you possibly could without ever winning the uh, the major title. Well, and the thing is, too, that if, you know, after this fight, if he wanted to say, oh, I'm going to take a little bit of time off and then kind of start down lower, lower down on the rung uh, and build myself back up, it's got to be the toughest division in the sport to do that. Like, name me an easy fight at lightweight in the UFC, especially if you're a guy the status of Gray Maynard, like you said. I mean, he, he fought and nearly won the, the title. How do you take that guy and have him fight, you know, some Facebook prelim dude after that? It's kind of tough. Like, there's just nothing but tough fights out there for him right now. Um, so, yeah, I would say at the very least kind of take some time off, retool, and, and, and rethink the approach. Um, but also, on the flip side, you look at Nate Diaz, and that's about as good as you've ever seen Nate Diaz look. Yeah, you know, especially coming in off back-to-back losses, I think uh, one of the reasons that uh, the post-fight antics, at least uh, in my view, were were so positively received was because it's been 18 months since we saw any Diaz win a fight in the UFC. We've, you know, we've seen their stuff on Twitter, and obviously Nick Diaz has been keeping a a pretty low profile since the uh, since the retirement. He's still officially retired, but it'd been a long time since we we got to see a Diaz kind of go strictly Diaz uh, on live TV, and I think that that's one of the reasons why. Uh, you know, once we saw it go down, we were all kind of like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is just what we were talking about, about the precious natural resource in MMA known as the Diaz brothers. Right. And Nate Diaz comes out there and gives you the full Diaz yes, treatment. Yes, he does. Walks you... out with a hoodie to Tupac, uh, comes out there, beats up a guy while stopping to, to, to pose with his arms out every yes, once in a while. Yes. Uh, and then gives a post-fight interview, which he later said he had been thinking about what he was going to say for three months. Wow, really? Yeah. And the first thing he said is, I don't know what kind of fucking show this is, man. Motherfuckers be acting silly. Well, he didn't know motherfuckers were going to be acting silly. So that I, was an ad I assume that, that was an ad lib. Uh, once you see motherfuckers acting silly, it has to be remarked upon. Uh, but, you know, it kind of makes you realize why he was not having any of John Anik's attempt to interview him when John Anik would, you know, ask him, hey, are you staying at 155 or are you going to go back up to 170? And he just says... Let's talk about this right here. And then brings over his boy Gilbert Melendez, kind of challenges, it seems, Josh Thompson and Benson Henderson to some kind of... Challenged everybody, as far as I know, everybody at the, in the lightweight title picture. Yeah. yeah. And the guys that, he's already, that he already has losses to, but still, that's part of the, the Diaz magic, is that he can get up there have to, having you know, very convincing losses to both of those dudes, Benson Henderson and Josh Thompson and say me and Gilbert are going to beat y'all asses. Right. And it's still, nobody even thinks about like 
the the logical incongruity there. It's no, just like, awesome. Yes, I I wrote about that actually on Bleacher Report this week. Uh, when the Diaz brothers talk, the truth is sort of relative. The facts don't really matter, but you know, at least the show is fantastic. Yeah, and it is. Uh, and you're right. You know, God bless John Anik uh, for for trying to to do his job and trying to ask questions. <laughs> As but, you said afterwards, the straightest straight man in the business. That's right. But I mean, like. I mean, I think we all pretty much immediately forgot the first question that he asked as soon as Nate Diaz started talking. I don't even remember what it was at at this point, but uh, uh, you know, Diaz starts in on on the whole shtick. Actually, I'm gonna back it up a little bit because even before that, I knew we were in for some Diaz magic. When after Eve Levine quite tardily steps in to uh, stop the fight and Gray Maynard uh, staggers away and falls on his face and Nate Diaz immediately starts flexing and pointing at the camera and shouting obscenities that we can't quite hear. They kind of, you know, they, they, the camera follows him as he goes around the octagon and there was some poor son of a bitch standing at the door to the cage, like with his arm, keeping Nick Diaz from running into the cage and Nick Diaz is hanging over this guy's arm shouting stuff at Nate. And I thought, Oh, here we go. <laughs> we are going to, it's Diaz time. We are taking a trip to planet Diaz right now. Yeah. I don't want to trade jobs with that guy who has to try and keep Nick Diaz out of the cage after his brother. Yeah. Wins. And I, I got, I don't know who I know. Reed, Reed Harris was in there and like, I saw him say something to, to Nick Diaz and, and put his finger up like just a minute or something like that. But like, who's the dude? Like, how do you get charged with the job? of like keeping people out of the octagon and they give you a UFC hat and like, <laughs> like probably a, a Mike Tyson shirt or whatever the official uh, uniform of the UFC is. And, and they, and you think, Oh, easy night. Right. And like, I don't know, maybe this dude doesn't even know who Nick Diaz is. He's just in mortal danger and he doesn't even know it. <laughs> well, I really like that. Even after all that stuff in the interview, John Anik still tries to, tries to stay on topic and tries to get Nate Diaz to talk us through the replay, yes. which is a, Dicey yes. proposition. It's never worked. The, it's never once worked in the history of the UFC. With the most, like, you know, calm and reasoned and cooperative fighters, it's still tough to, to get them to do that and have it go off well. Uh, and Nate Diaz's response was just, uh, <laughs> yeah, I won. That's what's up. And then went into his roughly two and a half minutes of shout outs. <laughs> yes, two. There were two different segments of shout outs during this. This uh, that's why you got to think about it for a few months. No, so you yeah, can break you, get, your shout you gotta out. make sure you get all the names. And you know, once again, I was reminded that uh, Gilbert Melendez is uh, the, the guy who kind of sticks out on the Caesar Gracie team. I've always felt this. He and Jake Shields both kind of uh, stick out as the most reasonable and uh, for lack of a better word, most normal guys on the, uh, on the Caesar Gracie team because you talk to them and they both seem, you know, uh, totally like down to earth, uh, level headed guys. And I feel like I, I even have asked Gilbert Melendez, like what, what's going on when, when the Diaz brothers, like what he thinks when they're doing their thing on the mic. And, and he's, and he pretty much told me like, well, sometimes we don't know what they're talking about. You know, like he's admitted <laughs> that. And, and then you see like Nate Diaz calls him into the, into the the frame, so to speak, in this post-fight interview, throws his arm around him and starts making these proclamations. And even at one point, you could kind of see Gilbert Melendez like look down at the mat and shake his head, like, "Well, that last—I mean, that wasn't true. Like, <laughs> yes. That part right there wasn't true." <laughs> well, uh, that's what I love too. Is the and we saw it in the uh, the pre-fight package where uh, Nate Diaz was talking about his decision loss to Gray Maynard, and I believe the way he put it was. 
All I remember was winning the fight, and then they told me that I didn't. Uh, and, like, I love his just subtle revisionist history on that stuff, and the thing where he says, oh, my boy Gilbert Melendez, he beat Ben Henderson for the title, and then for some reason they let Ben Henderson fight Anthony Pettis. Uh, I love him framing it as if he genuinely doesn't understand how that how that came to pass. You know, just... I don't know. I was so confused. I was we were really excited for Gilbert, you know, since he beat the champion, and then somehow they they let the champ fight some other guy. I'd say, go figure. You know, I that, that's I think uh, the the part of the thing that makes me wonder. Nate Diaz is the one who knows what he's doing, isn't he? He's the one who like well, yeah, you said clearly. before. He's the most practical Diaz. He's the he's the Diaz best set up to deal with the rigors of modern life. Uh, <laughs> maybe not the Diaz best set up to like achieve success in the world of mixed martial arts fighting. Although I think he he definitely uh, improved his status with this win. But you know the like the the Diazes have never lost a fight. They've never and none of their friends have ever lost a fight either. I remember I believe after uh, uh, Jake Shields got knocked out by Jake Ellenberger back in in two thousand eleven. Uh, they were saying he won that one. They were saying like it was a quick stoppage or like Ellenberger didn't didn't okay. hurt him or what something about, like that. What about though? Nate Diaz has lost to Josh Thompson, where Nick Diaz himself threw in the towel. I mean that one. That one might count. I don't know. <laughs> Although who knows what throwing in the towel means in Stockton rules? Maybe you win if you throw the towel in. Maybe it's I like tagging into a pro wrestling match. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, let's deal with the future of uh, of Nate Diaz here because the 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 act. And it's probably not an act, but like the act didn't stop at the post fight press conference either. He, you know, he came with jokes. He had jokes at the at the post fight press conference saying that he figured he would take the shortest route to the lightweight title, which is to not fight until someone else gets injured. Which then, is a way more reasonable proposition, I think, than uh, we're giving it credit for. That could work. Yeah, no, you're right. That I mean, that's how other people have done it. And uh, I believe he also said that. Uh, he kept up the gag about the high school reunion, said that he would have much rather have gone to the high school reunion, but had to show up to fight uh, Gray Maynard again because he was broke and needed the money. Uh, so clearly, I guess Nate Diaz had thought about this for months on end, what he was going to do uh, post-fight. Uh, but like, what do you forecast as this guy's actual uh, future in, in the UFC? I mean, he just, he just recently lost to the champion uh, pretty pretty lopsided unanimous decision uh ben henderson in december of last year and then got knocked out by josh thompson uh in in april obviously he improves his stock with this win over gray maynard but like i don't know if i'm really uh uh champing at the bit to see him uh fight again for the belt i guess it depends who he fights i mean if he fought anthony pettis i'm not saying he'd win that fight but i think that would be a way more interesting fight uh than uh his fight against benson henderson uh i think the big appeal for him or of, of him for the UFC is to be able to come in and do pretty much what he did here, which is, you know, you've got a, a Fox sports quality show that doesn't have a whole lot going for it, but you throw Nate Diaz in the main event and he brings a whole lot of excitement, uh, both before between and after the bell. Uh, so I mean, that's a real nice thing to have in your back pocket in the UFC. And as he also referenced in the post-fight press conference, that dude stays busy. You know, he, we can say all we want about how he's been known to uh, have his own version of the truth. When he pointed out how often he fights, he does fight more often than most other fighters in the UFC. Those The Diaz brothers, when they're, they're at it, they're really at it. So uh, I could see how for the UFC, you know, he's only he only had to fight two and a half minutes here. 
turn right around and uh, get him a, a similar quality fight. You can throw him on the, the headliner of uh, one of these kind of quality cards or just bolster the, the main card of a pay-per-view if you, if you want it. I mean, there's a lot of things you can do with Nate Diaz here. And since he's the one where you don't have to worry about him no-showing stuff and, uh, you know, getting crazy backstage or anything, uh, he's like all the great stuff about Nick Diaz and at least not so much of the problematic stuff. Well, maybe he fights so much because he's broke, as he referenced after this one. Uh, the the uh, the official payouts came out today, and we saw what do you make officially thirty grand? Is was yeah, that the fifteen uh, and fifteen? Fifteen and fifteen. And ain't no way. No, ain't he no way. He made more than that, but again, if the if the UFC isn't going to tell us about it, I think we. I guess have no choice but to just deal with what we know as the facts. Uh, what are they spending their money on, man? Like, I, well, I guess Nate Diaz owns a home, right? He's a homeowner, as I believe we found out uh, when the 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 uh, controversy about Nick Diaz's living arrangements were going on, but <laughs> during his the lead up and aftermath to his yeah. fight with well, BJ Penn. Well, based on that uh, that video that uh, Casey Lydon put out, it seems like there there might be. A, the need for some regular home repairs uh, going on over there. At least to get some spackle so you can patch the knife holes. Going through a lot of drywall over there. Yeah. Uh, All right, Ben, well, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. What, Ben, is your Are You Fucking Kidding Me for this week? Well, Chad, as I'm sure you did, I sat down and watched from the first Facebook prelim on on Saturday night. I I only watched the commercials. (laughs) Fast forwarded through the rest. Yeah. Luckily, there was only 11 minutes of the rest, so it's pretty easy. <laughs> well, that's kind of where I'm going with this. I mean, I know that you're going to have to sit through some commercials when we watch live sporting events on cable TV. I got that. But even when we're stretching into like the fifth hour of this event, uh, and we've had to sit through the same UFC 168 annoying music promo, you know, roughly a dozen times by then. We've also had to sit through the, all the details about the Harley Davidson that each tough winner is getting and all the, the features and bells and whistles it has on it, uh, which I know is interesting to you because you're a big motorcycle guy. Uh, it's why I have that Harley girl tattoo. Yeah. Wait, is it, that came out wrong. <laughs> well, even after all that, which I'm willing to sit through for uh, to a certain extent, then late in the show, we come back from commercial so that they can basically run another commercial during the show for UFC 168, which they have already been running copious commercials for during the commercials. You mean to tell me you're going to air a commercial between commercials? Are you fucking kidding me? Who does that? Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Well, maybe they felt like they needed to get the word out. Like, I don't, do you think anybody knows about UFC 168? I feel like the people who are planning to order it may not, still may not know when or, or that it even is going on. Chad. That was sarcasm. Okay. I was being sarcastic. <laughs> ben, this week, my Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Not MMA related, but I must send it out anyway. My Are You Fucking Kidding Me? goes out to the person or persons unknown that I was told today cloned my debit card and then ran up more than $4,000 in charges at different Walmarts in the state of Missouri. First of all, Fuck you very much. <laughs> Second of all, you classy ass motherfucker <laughs> spending damn near $5,000 at Walmart in two different cities in Missouri. I mean, I have to say, 
despite the fact that you caused me an hour, maybe an hour and a half of headache today when I had to call my bank and get those charges deleted, I kind of admire it. I kind of admire the cut of your jib. I kind of admire that you went out there and just, I hope, had the greatest day of your life at the Walmart in Republic, Missouri. You know, I like to imagine whoever is at your bank looking at the thing and seeing whether they should flag it for suspicious activity and then seeing that it's you, Chad Dundas, and be like, no, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, no, he's buying up everything at Walmart. That, might go, that guy seems like he might go run amok at Walmart. So I guess guy who stole my de- guy or girl, man or woman that stole my debit card. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me? Now, the worst part is now I don't have a debit. I'm not going to have a debit card for like seven days. I'm going to be the old lady at the store writing a check. I had to go get gas today. Wrote a check. <laughs> Just like an old man. You know what, though? This, I think, is the perfect opportunity for you to really explore the barter system. Yeah. I mean, or the the gold, go back to the gold standard with yeah. all the gold I got buried in my backyard. There you go. You don't mind if I write a check, do you? Guy just looks at you like, are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? Anyway, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Chad, you may have fast-forwarded through this part while seeking out commercials on Saturday night, but uh, Ronda Rousey, UFC women's bantamweight champ, did a little uh, stand-up interview there alongside her pal uh, Misha Tate, and let's just say I'm no body language expert, but it seemed like she was really into it to me. It seemed like she was really happy to be there. No, it didn't. It did not seem that way. Yeah, that was more sarcasm. Yes. There you go. You're not the only one who can do that. <laughs> I'm just the only one who can do it well. Okay, keep, keep, <laughs> well, her, keep her moving. You know, here's one of those things where when I'm first sitting there watching it, I don't know about you, but uh, I found it uh, uncomfortable, yes. unpleasant, to yes. the point of almost causing me physical pain yes. to watch it. Yes. Uh, but then afterwards, had to wonder about... Uh, Exactly what the goal was there. If that, you know, if if the thing is that hey, Ronda Rousey really doesn't give a damn what anybody thinks, uh, and is just going to go full pro wrestling heel kind of thing on it, then hey, maybe stuff like that is exactly how she wants it to come off. Or is it that uh, she has gotten so far off the the edge of the spectrum to think that like hey, I'm, I keep it so real. Uh, that she doesn't realize that maybe real is coming off as like childishly petulant. Now you're talking about the first interview, right? The yeah, Kate, yes, the, to the, clarify, one, the stand-up yes. one with her and, and Misha Tate, because I feel like things didn't even really start getting weird until the the post-fight show where they were all where uh, Rousey, Helwani, Anik, Florian, and Tate uh, were all sitting in those weird director's chairs, which are like a dream team too tall for anyone to look comfortable in them. Uh, cage side like that. That's to me when it really got uncomfortable because, you know, I don't expect those like borderline impromptu stand up interviews that they do cage side. I don't expect those to go well. Like we've seen it before with the, uh, well, when they did it with John Jones and somebody, who was it? Where was it him and Rashad or him and, uh, him and Chael Sonnen and Chael. Yeah. Uh, they tried to do that. And it was like almost the same thing. Like, uh, John, John Jones wouldn't answer any questions. He wouldn't really look at 
anyone, wouldn't look in the camera. And so like when they do those things, I understand why they do it. And I understand that they're trying to promote the fight, et cetera, et cetera. But, but when it happens, I, I almost always feel like, why are they doing this? It's just making everyone look bad, making everyone look terrible. So like, when the when the first Rousey Tate interview went up in flames, I wasn't really that surprised and I didn't I didn't put much thought into it. It was much weirder in the post fight thing because that's a thing that I assume you know you are going to do. And they tell you like, hey, after this is over, we're gonna do a sit down thing. It's gonna take like 10, 15 minutes. We're gonna ask you about all the fights, winners and losers, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I don't feel like there's really an excuse to act the way that she acted during that portion of the of the night, even if, um, as we've seen reported, she was uh, 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 sorrow stricken with sorrow over the news of the death of Paul Walker, who we've been led to believe she became close with on the set of Fashion the Furious 104. Okay. Has she actually said that or is that just a thing people are saying? See, that's what I don't her. know. I've, I know other people have said it. Uh, I don't. I haven't seen her say it. Uh, I would find that theory more convincing were this behavior a significant departure from right. what we had come to expect from Ronda Rousey, but it's not. Right. It's kind of just the normal Ronda Rousey stuff that we've been seeing lately, maybe with the volume cranked up a little bit. I mean, I'm not saying that couldn't be the result of you know being upset about you know this dude you're in a movie with dies and maybe you're buddies and maybe you weren't maybe you're just bummed out because you don't know what that means for the movie uh or maybe you know you're upset because your fighters lost uh on the the ultimate fighter finale competition who knows could could be any of that stuff however the thing that kind of brings you back down is that yeah that seems like more just an extension of the stuff that she was doing during the reality show right and the thing is like even if you are uh like legitimately bereft over to the death of an acquaintance just absolutely fucking bereft or you are the kind of person who uh gets very emotionally attached to the team of fighters that you coached on this reality show which frankly I, ronda rossi does seem like that kind of person so i legitimately believe that she would be upset to to have both losses and that she would want to go console her fighters as she said she did uh but you only got to be on tv for 15 minutes and if you are the star that you have been propped up to be by the ufc and the the reason they said that they created a women's division in the first place and you're on the cover of espn the magazine and you are supposed to be the standard bearer for this for this weight class and for women's mma in general really like you just got to make it look good for 15 minutes, man. Like that, that doesn't seem that hard. And for a person who has aspirations to go be a Hollywood movie star, man, you got to do that shit eight, 10 hours at a time. If you're going to be in a Hollywood movie, That's a like point. maybe you had a shitty day. Maybe, maybe one of your friends legitimately did die. You still got to show up for work and do, do the same thing over and over again for like eight hours. So when I watch this performance from Ronda Rousey, post fight where she can't even stomach being there for for 15 minutes and john attic eventually has to excuse her like he's the principal or something <laughs> and uh as an aside i feel like this situation where they're all sitting in the director's chairs was one of the few instances where i'm sitting at home thinking man i wish rogan was there because <laughs> i feel like when ronda rousey was doing that thing like someone needed to go full jim halpert from the american office and just like look at the camera with that look on your face, like what? Like, and you know, Rogan would have done <laughs> oh, that. He yeah. would have looked at the camera with that thing where his eyes get really big. Yeah. He his, would have done his that. eyebrows get super expressive. And somebody needed to do that. And, and, and there was just too many professionals up there for that to happen. I wish it would have. But uh, when I watch her have this performance, I think 
she's not the star that we've been led to believe that she is. That's how I, how I come away with it. Yeah. But at the same time, we're still sitting here talking about her, aren't we? You know, and that's, I mean, maybe she's not that, that Gina Carano, uh, America's sweetheart, uh, female fighter that can go off to the movies and, and parlay that success that way. But she is still kind of like a magnetic personality and from everything we've seen, a really awesome fighter. Uh, so maybe it, it doesn't matter. Maybe that this is just the, the one, this is the thing that she ought to be working with, not the, uh, you know, movie star cover girl kind of image that um, she is just the, the aggressive asshole who will make everybody feel uncomfortable. And that's fine. You know, I mean, that can actually work. And I think maybe give us a, a cause at, at some points to examine our gender biases uh, when it comes to the sport. Like we, we think it's cool when male fighters are playing up these grudge match stuff, uh, sometimes just over and over again until it becomes completely unbelievable. Uh, but then in the situation with Ronda Rousey, everybody's like, man, why, why is she being so mean and cold? Man, what's up with that? Like, I, I mean, that there is a legitimate criticism to be made that we would not say that same stuff about a male fighter. Yeah, and I think that that is legitimate. And I think everything that it has involved female fighting in the UFC up to this point has has been genderized and really, really patronizing and, and creates that kind of situation. Good job, uh, sweetheart. Yeah. Uh, and I had that presented to me uh, by Jonathan Snowden, who also writes for Bleacher Report, and he and I may write a, a point counterpoint later in the week about that. Um, and I think that that's a legitimate point to be, make that, to be made that a lot of people are reacting to this performance from Ronda Rousey this way because uh, she, she is a woman. But I also don't think that's all of it. I think there's more to it than that. And I think a big part of it has to do with her being uh, the establishment, so to speak, in the women's division, that, that she is this star that a lot of people view as being wholly created by the UFC uh, and, and presented to us in a way that uh, was was different from how she has been acting lately. She was presented... Uh, as as the star as as the person who's going to like be on the cover of these magazines and as the person who's going to uh to like carry the flag for the women's division and when you see her on these post fight things acting like this she doesn't seem like that at all she doesn't seem like she wants to be there and i don't think that that uh fits in with with the image that has been projected for her maybe not by her maybe it's not even her fault but like i don't think that fits in with with how the ufc has tried to portray her even though dana white has as you know referred to her as a as a diaz brother in a beautiful fucking body beautiful fucking body and i've seen a lot of comparisons between her and a diaz uh in the wake of this and i think that the main difference in that is that rousey is the establishment she's the ufc's golden child the one that they have propped up as this huge star and that is in direct uh uh you know 180 degree opposition to how the diazes are portrayed and our view of the diazes like we think of the diazes as dudes that are still here because they're too scary for anybody to ask them to leave right <laughs> whereas ronda rousey is is supposed to be like the the standard bearer for the for women's mma so i think it just it just plays different man it's not the same thing and i don't think all of it has to do with her being a woman in fact a lot of it reminds me of either matt hughes or brock lesnar when they went on the ultimate fighter especially brock lesnar who who the same as ronda rousey has been propped up as this huge uh star for the ufc and like the heavyweight champion and blah 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 and then he goes on a full season of reality television and you realize oh no he's actually just kind of an asshole and like maybe not that bright <laughs> and so like I, I i see it as like a failure of of marketing really more than i do like her uh being the third diaz brother 
Well, can we talk for a second, though, about how easy this makes Misha Tate's job? Oh, shit. She looked like Walter fucking Cronkite no, up there, all dude. she has to do is stand there and smile and, and you know, kind of subtly roll her eyes at, at Ronda, Ronda Rousey and just act normal. And she comes off like Margaret Thatcher, just like the classiest, uh, most reasonable, sane woman in the world. Uh, pretty good gig for her. Now all she has to do is turn in a better showing in the fight. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, like uh, all of this stuff for Ronda Rousey plays a little bit when you're the champion. If she goes out there and gets beat by Misha Tate, which I think Misha Tate has, over the course of this season of The Ultimate Fighter, become a pretty big fan favorite, and certainly what we saw this past weekend didn't hurt that uh, uh, perception of her. Uh, so, you know, Rousey's going to come into this fight with a lot of, uh, you know, maybe in hostile environment, whereas Tate's going to come in with a lot of popular support, Misha Tate wins the title. Man, I don't even know where you're at with the with the Ronda Rousey as superstar angle. Oh, well, you just turn right around and rematch it. Run it run it right back. That's true. That's true. They could do that. But didn't like I th- I felt like the weirdest thing that Ronda Rousey said during this post-fight thing before she was excused by Principal Anik uh was when she said she didn't have to worry about leaving a Gina Carano void when she left. That was like the last thing that she said, and it left this impression like, oh, you're already out of here. Yeah, you're, like, looking, you're done. looking at the door. You're already done, which again, like if that's the person who's supposed to be your biggest star and the impression that they leave you on live TV is, number one, she doesn't want to be here, and number two, she's already planning her escape. That's not good. Well, for one thing, I would say, uh, just to play a little bit of devil's advocate there, planning your escape from MMA is probably a good idea for every fighter. Sure. Yeah, no uh, no argument there, for sure. You know, you, hopefully you wouldn't be planning it like, how soon can I ditch these losers and do something else in my life? But yeah, you better have a, a plan for something in the future. Uh, and also, I can't necessarily disagree with her that she will not leave behind the same Gina Carano void. Uh, because if you just look at the situation in the UFC... I mean, assuming that the UFC doesn't immediately pull the plug on all the women's divisions as soon as uh, Ronda Rousey leaves, which, God, I hope the UFC would realize how awful that makes them look. Uh, but assuming well, they, that I don't think they can do that now. No, uh, assuming that that didn't happen, then yeah, the, she would already, even if she did nothing else, would have served as kind of the bridge for women to get into the UFC, which is, you know, that's that's hell of a legacy. Even if you don't do anything else, that said, you should probably try and do something else also. Uh, right. that, yeah. ideally that would be a better situation. And and that is just a matter of like pure base level public relations. Like everything that you said is absolutely right. She should be planning her escape from, from MMA. And when they ask her a question about it on live TV, she should be better prepared to give a better answer. You know, and I think that it's easy to give that answer because she could just say that a, a lot of the criticism of the way that of the women's division in the UFC is that it's been all about Ronda Rousey. And she could say, now that we've done this season of the ultimate fighter, now that they've announced the 115 pound fighters will be here soon. Uh, it's not the Ronda Rousey show anymore. And I think that we've struck a huge blow in favor of women's MMA. And, and, and we show that there's a lot of talent out there. And, and, you know, if, and when the day comes that I have to walk away, I think that this sport will be left in good hands. That'll be one hundred and fifty dollars. Wow! Yeah, I was just going to ask. Like that's that seems pretty good. I I think the only problem is that no one would believe that those were Ronda Rousey's words. Well, she would say it the way Ronda Rousey and then would she, say it. Could she say afterwards, like, "I got shit to do. I'm hungry. I'm yes. out." And then then we would all go, "What? What? 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 
that's what's up. <laughs> uh, I feel like we just almost plagiarized Tommy Toehold there. <laughs> or maybe we did. I don't know. Sorry, Tommy. I'll send you some of that $150. You know, one of the things that uh, I hadn't thought about until I talked to Misha Tate recently uh, for that article I did with fighters talking about their social media strategies and how great slash awful social media can be for Hashtag super, piece. super accessible pro fighters. Uh, when you fight somebody like Ronda Rousey, especially for the second time, uh, Misha Tate pointed out, you get a lot of unsolicited advice about things you should do in the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Which has got to be the most annoying thing for a pro fighter. Like, oh, really? Yes. You think you, you, you got some advice for, for Misha Tate on how to stay out of the arm bar? Oh, oh, do tell Judo Lover 69. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. I love that so much. Uh, all right. Well, that's probably going to do it for round number two. Uh, we will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, uh, perhaps the best jumping off point for the upcoming UFC event main evented by Mark Hunt against Bigfoot Silva is to just pull back the curtain and uh, let the audience know that you and I just had about a three minute conversation about what day this event is on. Yes, uh, that is we, true. We, we think we have determined that this is a sneaky Friday night event here in the United States, that it will air Friday, December 6th on Fox Sports 1, but that it will take place in Australia. It's in Brisbane, Australia, at the Brisbane Entertainment Center. Uh, Classy. That it will take place in Brisbane on Saturday, December 7th. So basically, Australia exists in the future. Yes. Australia, as far as we know, exists in a purely hypothetical future. Yes. Okay. It's like the Jake Gyllenhaal movie Source Code. I'm telling you, it's a good movie. I have not seen it, but... Everyone, go go and check out uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in, in Source Code, and then just try and uh, not worry that none of it really makes sense. That's a tip for the well-rounded fight fan. There right it there. is. Un- unadvertised. Well, you know, looking at this fight card, uh, I guess I, I'm, I'd still have a little bit of dread built in about the number of commercials and crap I'm going to be asked to sit through and whether I'm going to turn on the TV on maybe possibly Friday night. I think, let's hope, okay, Friday night, uh, and if the first thing I hear is, you and me, I mean, I'm out. I'm just out. I don't know if I can handle that again. But other than that, looks like some some fun action on tap. Isn't it going to be all commercials for, like, Vegemite, or they they don't show those up here? So your thinking would be that we would see Australia's commercials? Yeah, why not? Yeah, no, that's that's logical. That makes perfect sense. Commercials from the future. Yeah. Well, you've got your main event here, Mark Hunt against Bigfoot Silva. The luster has come off both of these heavyweights uh, in 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 a big time way. Uh, you know, not completely. I think that they're both still fun stories, but at the same time, Mark Hunt was uh, was on a, a four fight win streak there, and we'd been we've been talking about rally rally for Mark Hunt to get a a, a heavyweight title fight. God, and, that seems like so long ago now, doesn't I it? I know. And then uh, back in May. Uh, UFC 160, he gets brutalized by Junior Dos Santos, uh, losing by spinning heel kick KO in the third round. Uh, and that pretty much derailed the 
rally for Mark Hunt uh, as we knew it. The same. But really, does that do anything to dampen your enthusiasm for Mark Hunt? You know what he brings to the table. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't do anything to to dampen my enthusiasm for this particular bout, which is. Like I said, the opening round of the Super Hulk tournament, uh, but it does dampen, I think, everyone's enthusiasm about the future of Mark Hunt. I think that, you know, there was a swell of popular opinion that, that he was on the verge of being a sort of a Rocky story as a guy who would get a shot at the title, and that ain't happening now. I don't know. He's already kind of a Rocky story when you think about it. The UFC was trying to pay him to stay home. Uh, and he insisted on fighting and has made a, a good career for himself in the UFC. And you know what he's going to do, and you know it's going to be fun. He's going to show up, he's going he's to walk out looking like somebody's put a, a sponsor tee on a fire hydrant. Uh, then he's going he's gonna to get in there, uh, probably going to show a complete disregard for uh, whether you plan to hit him in the face or not. Uh, then he's going to hit you with an unbelievably hard punch if you're Bigfoot Silva, and then you're probably going to fall down and uh, everybody's going to go nuts. And then in the post-fight interview, uh, Mark Hunt will speak into the microphone as if he is being charged for every word he utters uh, and wants to make sure he sticks to his budget. Uh, and then we'll all go home. I mean, that's, that's fun stuff. Well, not to like. I'm glad that you laid it out like that because now I feel like I don't even have to watch it. Yeah, and I can sing the the song from the commercial for you. You, <laughs> man. That's terrible. Stop know, doing that. No, Jesus. Uh, well, you know, it's sort of the same story for Bigfoot Silva, a guy who uh, beat Travis Brown and Alistair Overeem back to back. Boy, remember Alistair Overeem? Remember when he was a was a thing? In Which the- one? <laughs> the one who was Vitor Belfort before Vitor Belfort. Oh, yeah. Okay. I remember. The yeah. one where we were worried he was going to become the champion, and then we didn't know how we were going to look ourselves in the mirror. Yeah. Well, thankfully, we avoided that difficult moral question. <laughs> yeah. For about six months. Uh, he, you know, he, uh, Bigfoot Silva won a couple of fights that it sure felt like the powers that be wanted him to lose. He beat Travis Brown and Alistair over him, uh, and himself got some, some, uh, some popular, uh, support behind him, and then, and then, uh, Got waxed by Cain Velasquez, also at UFC 160, uh, uh, back in May. And, uh, I don't know what the, uh, what the odds are for this, this fight with Mark Hunt or if there, if there are any or if gambling is legal in Australia, like you can just go into a corner store and place bets on, on sports. Sounds like it. Seems like that kind of place, right? Yeah. No, I would, I, I totally believe that. Uh, the odds actually, uh, that I'm looking at have, uh, Bigfoot Silva as a slight favorite. Get out of town. Yeah. How? No, I don't know. He's <laughs> going to take Mark Hunt down, I guess. Uh, I'm seeing an odd where, uh, Bigfoot Silva is at minus 155 and Hunt is at plus 125. Hmm. Well, all right. You mentioned, though, that Bigfoot Silva had won a couple of fights that it seemed like the powers that be wanted him to lose, which then made me wonder, have the powers that be ever wanted Bigfoot Silva to win a fight? It just feels like he's the guy where everybody's like, okay, well, he's a big, scary-looking dude. We'll put him on there, and then we'll hope that you know he's not that great of an athlete, so he'll probably lose, and then he wins. And you're like, ah, damn it. All right, well, what can we do now? You know, it always seems like it's been like that for him. Yeah, well, he was. Remember when he was elite XC heavyweight champ, and he was still sort of playing second fiddle to Kimbo Slice in terms of like promotional uh, might. So yeah, I think you're right. It's, then he beat Fedor. Yeah, yeah, he did beat Fedor. Uh, he he uh, has long been a guy that I think has been uh, a little bit underestimated by everyone, including myself. Uh, but uh, y- you know, he's, he's a hell of a dancer. We see that every time uh, his walkout music plays, he just starts feeling the groove. Big man can't help himself. That's the best part, man. I really just hope that they show the walkouts for this one, at least the main event, because watching watching Bigfoot Silva dance is one of those things where I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm not such a bad dancer. If that that's if that's dancing, 
I, I can I can at least do that that well. Maybe not much better. You know, they're probably going to have to edit out the uh, the walkouts though to save time to get, make sure that the uh, Bruno Santos versus Christoph Jotko nailed it. Uh, Facebook main event gets some airtime after the uh, after the huge stunning stoppage finish in that one. Yeah, well, we got our Facebook main event, then we got a uh, the the prelims on Fox Sports Two. Which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed how uh, there was a college football game on when the uh, prelims started. Uh, for this, the, the tough finale. Uh, and so then we had to watch it on Fox Sports 2 for a couple of minutes until the football game wrapped up and then they moved over. Man, watching fights on Fox Sports 2 and then switching to Fox Sports 1 really reminds you like, oh yeah, HD TV really is a thing. There really is a, a, a substantial, uh, difference in quality between those two things. Uh, which kind of makes me not that excited about watching the prelims on, on Fox Sports 2. All right. Well, here's a tip for you. Don't watch them. Well, I gotta watch him. I gotta watch him. Uh, you know, Takeo Mizugaki and, and Nam Fam. I gotta watch that. Uh, my girl Julie Kedzie's on there. Come okay, on. Okay, there you go. Gotta watch that. And you got Nick Ring against. Oh, this is gonna be good. Chow Megalish. Megalesh. <laughs> you know why? Why even? Why do this to yourself? <laughs> why do the thing where you try and like do the Brazilian pronunciation? Why not just do Magal Hase the way we would do it if he moved to Montana? And we're like, hey, Carl, Carl Magalhaes, good to see you, buddy. I do it, Ben, because the listeners of the co-main event podcast expect a certain amount of professionalism in, from our broadcast. <laughs> well, that's on that. They expect us to nail the pronunciations of foreign fighters' names uh, because we've established that precedent. We we nail them each and every time here on the broadcast, here well, on the co-main event podcast digital network. Well, I want to know, I mean, when you're looking at the, the lineup for the main card for this one... Uh, you got the two heavyweight fights. I assume that these are what the the semifinals of the Super Hulk tournament uh, that's happening here. You got Mark Hunt, Bigfoot Silva, and then uh, lower down the card, Pat Berry and uh, Suel Pulele. Let's just start the rumor that 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 this is a Super Hulk tournament, uh, and then that the UFC is then obliged to match the winners of those two fights up against each other to determine the UFC Super Hulk champion. Who will then, of course, have to go fight Minimal Man. I feel like this is one where we could maybe just get enough momentum behind it. Uh, and the UFC looking for, you know, grasping at whatever straws it can to get people to watch another Fox Sports event. This one, uh, especially on a, on a Friday night. So we think they'll go for it, man. Yeah, let's start a letter writing campaign. Yeah. We'll get some uh, postcards printed up. Okay, everybody who's listening right now, get your pen and your paper out. <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably going to do it for round number three. Ben, let's do uh, just saying stuff, and then we will we'll get out of here for this week. Uh, ben, th- this week, my just saying stuff uh, has to do with the newly announced UFC plans for their brand new uh, digital network, uh, which I believe is a fancy term for a website that shows videos. Am I close on sure. that? Uh, the, the details are, are pretty scarce at the moment, though we think it will be a subscription based service that will demand both more money and even more time from the people who want to watch every single UFC event. And you know what? I think it's a pretty good idea. I think that at least now the UFC is finally admitting to us that it's about to do a bunch of totally crappy shows that don't even deserve to air live on television in the United States. But that you will have to pay for. And if you're going to do that, I think that you have to put them on the internet 
so that the people who want to watch them, God knows who these people are, but they can watch them on the internet and the rest of us will be free to ignore them, both in print and in our daily lives. Just saying. Just saying. Well, Chad, I'm just saying, you know, we didn't really talk much about the other women's fights uh, that were on the tough finale. Uh, we mentioned Juliana Pena looking good, winning the uh, the, the first women's tough title. Uh, good job, sweetheart. Uh, that oh, one's God. obligatory. Uh, but also we saw uh, Jessamyn Duke uh, look, you know, not perfect, but pretty good in a decision win over Peggy Morgan. Um, Roxanne Montefiore, however... Uh, a fighter that a lot of us like, you know, really likable, charismatic person, uh, and also seems like a nerd, which endears her to the MMA community, which is made up mostly of nerds. Uh, and so I got to say, kind of broke my damn heart a little bit to go and read Mox Roxanne Montefiore's blog after her loss, uh, where she talks about feeling like she did pretty well and that she proved that she belongs in the UFC and then going and reading uh, The Underground where a lot of people were saying basically the exact opposite, that Roxanne Monteperi looked horrible, her stand-up has never looked worse, and that she clearly doesn't belong in the UFC and how sad that made her. Um, I'm just saying, while I can't say that I think Roxanne Monteperi looked particularly good in her fight, God, I wish, I wish we hadn't gone and hurt Roxanne Monteperi's feelings. I'm just saying. Just saying. Yeah, I agree with you. That is that is depressing. Everybody likes Roxanne. Everybody's yeah. rooting for her. At the same time, though, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that she looked good. Didn't didn't perform all that well. Well, now you broke her heart all over I again. know. That's the worst part. God, you're a cruel, cruel man. Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Co-Main Event Podcast. We'll be back next week to break down all the stuff that happens at this uh, either Friday or Saturday show that goes down in Australia. Uh, as for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We're out. So this thing with your debit card in Walmart. Yes. Does it ever make you feel like maybe you... Maybe somebody is out there living an alternate life, Chad Dundas, that, that you wish you were leading. Maybe it makes me feel like I've been sleep by it. Like I just uh, went in a, in a drunken rage to Missouri and bought a bunch of outdoors equipment out of the Walmart. <laughs> I'm just maybe this is the person who's other Chad Dundas wielding your debit card. Uh,